they come from a dying world. They drift through the universe, pushed on by the solar winds. They adapt, and they survive. The function of all life is survival. Sleep. 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 From deep space, the seed is planted. Terror grows. Invasion of the body snatchers. It's got no detail, no character. It's unformed. All of a sudden, they're growing like parasites. Is it contagious? People are being duplicated. How do you know my name? I didn't tell you my name. I can't find anything in here that looks like a body. My side's nosebleed. It looked right at me. You're looking at it as if it was human. It was not human. Now, the classic fear begins to grow. <laughs> We're being cornered. In a modern masterpiece of science fiction. They're barricading the street. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Get down. Starring Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Leonard Nimoy. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. From deep space, the seed is planted. Terror grows. Best bet, like, just blow dry your hair upside down and throw some product in as you're going, and um, you should have you should have the volume you want. I'm like, hmm, maybe this weekend. So I'm gonna try for that Kurt Russell hair. Oh my <laughs> god, this sounds incredible, and I'm holding you to that. <laughs> we'll see. And uh, welcome, welcome to the show, everybody. We are uh, <laughs> you caught us right in the middle of a chit chat here. This is the chit chat. <laughs> I, I'm John Diner. I'm David Munchak. And this is Reconsinimation, your podcast that takes a look back at our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we're checking out how they hold up today in 2019. And uh, we've got a good one here. But before we get to it, just just want to mention we've been we've been fight, David and I separately have been fighting through uh, and, and being under the weather. Uh, mm-hmm. So we are. We're powering through it just to bring you a, a fresh episode, uh, even though a, a day late, maybe partially because of how we're feeling. Uh, but here it is, an extra, another bonus show. Another show in the spooktacular month of Fright Fest Shock- <laughs> October. <laughs> Fright, Frighttober. Fright, Frighttober. <laughs> Octorer. And we've, we've had a good month so far. We've had, a, you know, an 80s classic in Silver Bullet. Mm-hmm. We've yes, had a 90s classic in Tremors. I mean, those pair very well together. Oh, uh, absolutely. And, and now, now we're going, what, the 70s? We're going back to the 70s, those gritty 70s. Everyone's gritty. When was the last time we were in the 70s? Was it uh, The Driver, Animal House? 
on our show? Maybe. Yeah. Oh, has it been that long? I guess it probably has been. And the uh, funny thing is, we we really love the year 1978. So uh, we're just we're gonna go right is, back there. This is our third or fourth movie in in 78. <laughs> I don't even know. I for some reason we're just really locked in to that year. It's a great year. Let it it is. happen. We're proving it. We're proving it to to everyone that 1978 just had it going on. All the movies. All of them. But yeah, no, uh, yeah, I caught a vicious cold the other day. Uh, it messed with me. I I was knocked down for about 48 hours. And uh, and I'm back, baby. I'm ready to go. I may sound like, like a different person, but I think it gives me a lot of uh, personality. So Yeah. Oh, yeah, if definitely. Could, if I could sound like this at all times with my weird heinous laugh cough thing I have going on. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. You know, I'm it. Yeah, and there's a little. There's a that piece of it. That wasn't very heinous, though. That wasn't heinous, but get me laughing. Once you get into that old classic John humor and make me laugh, uh, you'll hear it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to do my best to get you there. Get me with your Johnny jokes. <laughs> um, you know, and again, I was. Uh, we were sequestered on opposite sides of the Recon Cinema Studio lot. Uh, of being, you know, we didn't want to infect anyone, and and uh, mm-hmm. you know, David was on the east side, I was on the west side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, we're we're coming out of it, ready to record. So, en route over to the to studio where we record the episodes. Uh, I thought, you know what, what what else would cheer up my pal David than a than a special gift? So oh. I'm giving you this uh, this gift, oh. this box here. Uh, oh. But why don't you just just hang on to it? We'll uh, maybe we'll open up a little bit later. Oh, okay. Oh, that's oh that's very kind. You know, it, it, nothing helps better than uh, you know a gift from a good friend when you're when you're feeling down and ill. Yeah. Uh, that, thank you so much. I, yeah. I I look forward to opening this later. Thank I, you. I'm so sure much. it's gonna it's gonna cheer you right up. Just don't even worry about it. It's it's just from one friend to another, and uh, you know let's have a great show here. All right. Yeah. Oh, that's it. All right. To a good show. To a great show. Thank there we you go. So much. Yeah. There we go. Uh, okay. So we are talking about. We said we're going back to 1978, and we are looking at Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Ooh. Uh, one of the Really do think it's one of the all, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the all-time classics, mm-hmm. and uh, another movie that you know you don't really hear people talking about too much today, and uh, something that deserves uh, another look. What do you think, David? Yeah, I mean, I remember in the eighties, uh, I'd never seen, I had never seen Invasion of the Body Snatchers in the eighties, but I've heard that title many, many times, uh, and I think it was, you know, it had its own popularity uh, in the in the in the zeitgeist. Uh, as you know, I, I think people being taken over and replaced uh, is a common theme along a, d- a lot of different sci-fi. But it, people either talked about pod people or the body snatchers kind of thing. And um, but I had never seen those movies, and uh, and I didn't even realize um, for a very long time that the one the movie we're speaking of is actually a remake. So yeah, this is yeah. A, uh, um, but I, I, I'm I, and to be and all cards on the table, I have not seen the original. So. I'm just going to be, I know, Shame. I'm a terrible human being. But it falls outside the, the, the realm of our, or the scope of reconsinimation. You are I correct. Go, I don't go outside the 70s. Well, all right, I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to break that once in a while here because we're well, just going to just gonna inch into the 60s, but uh, I hear what you're saying. 
I mean, you, you got a little wiggle room here and there, but I'm yeah, not going back to the fifties. Get out of here. <laughs> the it was all in black and white, and, and no, and there was no 3D at all. The Ridiculous. 50s, they're gonna make you sick all over again. <laughs> oh God, I'm gonna puke. Look what's happening now? I'm gonna puke. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, the um, so when was the first time you saw this invasion of the body snatchers? No, oh, this one. Uh, it's a couple months ago, <laughs> <laughs> uh, with Donald Sutherland at the helm. I mean, it, it, it was far too long that I waited to see this. It thing. was, um, I'm, you know, and, uh, you know, seventies Donald Sutherland is probably the best Donald Sutherland you're going to, you're going to see. I mean, he's, oh, yeah, yeah. he's the king. Uh, uh, and it, it was just, a, and it, I didn't even realize who was in it and, uh, how much I was going to enjoy it. And, um, but I'm not going to spoil it. I'll, I'll tell you how much I enjoyed it at the end. Okay. It could, okay. It, it could be a little, or it could be none at all. It could be a lot. I don't know. Or like, you could just think it's just fine. I. It's just fine. It's like most movies we cover. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> My general consensus. It's fine. But uh, yeah, so no, I saw it for the first time a few months ago and had an opinion on it. And I think we both just said to ourselves, you know what? I think it's time to reconcinemize. Yeah, this movie's about to get reconcinemized. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the first time I saw this, I want to say it was about 1993. Mm. And I remember it was a rainy day, a rainy uh, Saturday afternoon. It might have been Sunday. G- give me that. I'll t- Sunday. Sunday afternoon. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, kind of the perfect setting to watch this movie. Yeah. And it was... It- it was so dark and dreary that it just kind of just drew me in. And I think I, I caught it about halfway through, maybe not, maybe like a quarter of the way through. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just kind of mesmerized by it. Mm. It, it, and, it, it appealed to you or, or there was something about it that you hadn't seen before. No, it was, yeah, it was totally, totally different. And um, I was in the middle of a Star Trek thing. So to see Leonard Nimoy playing this uh, character was completely uh, fascinating. Right, not playing Spock, right? Not, probably, not Spock. You probably only knew him as Spock more. You knew he was an actor, but you probably hadn't seen him in a big role outside of Spock at that yeah, point. Well, he, would, you, would you say? He, he hadn't, re- acting-wise, I mean, he hadn't done a heck of a lot. I mean, that I had seen at the time. I hadn't watched... Yeah. I don't think I'd really tuned into the old Mission Impossible, which he was he was on for a while, and it was pretty much just Star Trek and Transformers the movie. So that's that's how I knew Leonard Nimoy. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, as the director, don't forget, as the director of uh, the 1987 classic Three Men and a Baby. Oh right, did he? I thought did he do Batteries Not Included? Or was that no? Wait, no, that? I don't think that was him. I feel like that's a weird. I feel like Batters Not Included was a, a cla- uh, somebody else that, like, you'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Was that like Chris Columbus? Honestly, I think he <laughs> may have written it. Oh, that could be right. You could be. You know what? Yeah, I'm not. I'll have to look that up. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take. A, wait, I'm gonna take a look. Take a gander. <laughs> We're taking a side here. Oh, director Matthew Robbins. Oh, of course. Screenplay by Brad Bird. Well. Uh, there you go. Story by Mick Garris, right? Uh, then screenplay by Brad Bird and Matthew Robbins, and Brett Maddock and S.S. Wilson. Not and a Chris we Columbus. We know those movie. guys. 
from last week's episode, Tremors. Exactly. So, so how about that? It all, it all ties together here That's at Reconciliation. I, I had Bradders included on the brain, and I didn't even realize why. Yeah. It all connects. It's all <laughs> interconnected. Anyway, um, back to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, so Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, both versions, really, the 1956 version and the 1978 version, uh, are. it's based on a book called The Body Snatchers, uh, by, written by Jack Finney in 1955. So mm-hmm. clearly they you know, almost immediately went right into uh, transitioning that into a feature film. Just really quick, it's about an alien entity that comes to Earth and basically wants to, I guess you'd say, sort of assimilate uh, humans into one collective being, one Mm. collective mind, uh, soulless, sort of empty uh, shells of of humans using their their bodies and stripping them of their their humanity, basically. Mm. Yes. Interesting. So the that's the next, original. That's that's the that's the overall plot of of all of the versions of it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The nineteen fifty six film was directed by Don Siegel and was a big success. And was you know in the fifties they were starting to make sci fi movies that uh, like the day the Earth stood still uh, and Invasion of the Body Snatchers that were. You know, commentaries, po- sort of political commentaries uh, of the day, and whether they admitted it or not, you'll in a lot of interviews you'll you'll read that the creative team, the writers, and the and the and Don Siegel all would say that they weren't. It wasn't intentional that they were uh, making a political commentary on on communism or McCarthyism, but it's it's definitely there. I mean, it's definitely it's kind of all over the surface on that on the that film. Yeah, and you know, I think it, you don't you don't set out to write an anti-communist movie or something like that. I mean, but you you want to find something um you want to find an intriguing plot and then you use what you know. So you see what's going on in the political realm in the global politics and all of that and then it's just easy to incorporate those things to you know uh, to make an analogy of certain conflicts and um, and differences of philosophy, um, and then just sort of incorporate that into you know some aliens and some humans and mm-hmm. you know people fighting each other um, over different systems of of belief, um, where it seems so simple from each side. You know, aliens seem evil and they're like you know very like one mindedness, and mm-hmm. you know the humans often shown as like an open minded group and all of that, as though. You know, there's no one right answer or this answer is better than what you have because we have freedom of choice. Very American in those ideals of those movies of like having that freedom, free will, um, choice uh, and sort of uh, what's good for the overall. Mm-hmm. What's what's the overall good is I would think is sort of the, the themes that hit that. But, you know, sci fi was obviously that's the vehicle um, to use the fantastic to sort of explain sort of the the well I, I was going to say something else but using the fantastic to explain the the nuances of of these differences mm-hmm. um that that isn't that is quite dry and and boring if you try to like get into it in like a geopolitical discussion or you know a religious uh, uh a religious discussion or, or mm-hmm. something like that so 
it makes sense that you just sort of use what you know, but it's not like, hey, we should write a movie that's against communism. Um, instead of like, wouldn't it be interesting if our entire race was taken over by a force we can't control and we let it happen? Yeah. Um, and it's like, wait a minute, that's that. Maybe these kinds of things are happening right now. And it's just easy to make those connections without making it the point. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And it just fuels you. It fuels what you do. So, yeah, they're not going to sit there and be like, yeah, we wrote this because we were we wanted to <laughs> express our disdain. But clearly the, it's all there. Yeah. And well, and especially, you know, in the 50s, you had such a fascination with UFOs. I mean, sure. there's, you know, UFO, it was kind of a UFO craze, especially in in, uh, you know, in the movies after War of the Worlds, too. It was just kind of one right after another, it, it kind of took the place of the, you know, the universal horror films of the forties kind of mm-hmm. made a segue out of the, I guess you'd say out of the horror side and much more into the sci-fi side. While sci-fi can also be categorized as horror a lot of the time. Sure. Um, yeah. And there was a big UFO influence from, uh, Roswell and and everything that was you know sightings that were maybe going on if you believe that sort of thing which David doesn't I don't believe in what UFOs yeah I never said that I, ju- I just outed you I never said that you're a non-believer I, I believe in UFOs <laughs> um, oh, you, right. <laughs> you, uh, have, you have the t-shirt that says that UFO inspector uh, <laughs> ultra fine um yeah, darn it. <laughs> or, organization. Well, it's like, you know, that those T-shirts that was like FBI and it's like federal bikini inspector. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to find uh, <laughs> trying to find something analogous for UFO. And I'm like, ultra fine. Uh, I can't think oligarch. Like, no, <laughs> this doesn't work. Um, but isn't it interesting that. You know, the sort of the myths of those of those um, this is a this is a, an evolution of those myths, you know, kind of like we there's always monsters of hu- human beings turning into monsters and and sort of terrorizing themselves um, mm-hmm. that went on forever in literature and all of that and stories. And um, then it's like once technology became involved, once like the idea of a computer chip mm-hmm. and, um, you know, air, airline air. You know, air travel and then space flight and all of that. And it's like, well, the scope of the horror reaches far beyond. Um, oh, yeah. Who's down the, who's down the road at the next farm? And it's like, well, what planet are they coming from? What what's what sun or what star in the distance? What galaxy? Who's coming for us? Who's coming yeah. to destroy us? And it kind of makes it. And to use that, use those things as a broad, like sort of a. You know the philosophy of of a different of of other thinkers as a threat to your own identity as a human being or as an identity as an American um, in your as a real maybe a God fearing American or what have you. Uh, you know, it's just an evolution of those stories we tell ourselves mm-hmm. um, uh, throughout throughout the ages. So um, sci-fi is 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 just a continuation of all those things. And it's such an interesting you know, take on it that it's a complete sci-fi movie Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do really. I'm talking about the fifties film, especially has nothing to do with outer space. Right, right, right. You know, we, by the time this starts happening, it's whatever it is, is already here. Mm -hmm. And 
all of the entire plot, the entire movie takes place here, just in the in the small town of Santa Mira, California, which was uh, originally they had wanted to do it in San Francisco, but budgetarily it was cheaper to just do it, you know, make it set in a small town a little easier to shoot. Oh, okay. Uh, so. Yeah, and at the same time, you've got you've got all the McCarthyism happening, and this paranoia about who's a communist and who's being accused, and uh, you know the communist takeover is a dominant thought politically at the time. So why not take the two, those two elements, and kind of merge them into one story? And it's it's kind of a genius idea. Way to go, Jack Finney. Yeah. Well. Yeah. What a great writer! What a what a way to execute. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the movie had uh, a huge impact too. I mean, it, it really, uh, really tapped into the subconscious, and uh, not even subconscious. It tapped, you know, into what was, uh, you know, everyone's kind of greatest fear at the time was um, what was going to happen with the relationship with, you know, the communist countries and Russia and and Cuba and, and this brewing you know, major political issue that was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- this found a way to tap right into that. And, uh, you know, it did, the movie did really well. It was, it was very successful mm-hmm. and it became, you know, a cult classic and, and, uh, you know, created the term pod people and, mm-hmm. and uh, became part of sort of like pop culture. Yeah, like I said, I'd, I'd heard the term pod people, not really knowing where it was from and all of that. Um, but yeah, the idea of that, like what you think, what you believe and all of that, you, you know, you you operate with this idea that you have free will, that what you think is independent of outside influence. Like, you you know, you make some decisions, but um, it's these are this is sort of a commentary on like what what can seep in what can what can alter your belief system um and threaten like your very identity it can be insidious and it can be subtle and and then and then it can infect everyone else around you until you realize oh no uh i'm not who i thought i was and uh Mm -hmm. that's the threat it's the threat of your well-being just by existing um you know people who uh, you know, they want to live a certain way. The, the American dream is a, a very, very specific thing that was sort of um, advertised and peddled to people. Oh, yeah. And uh, I mean, and there was so much there's so much commentary on sort of the um, the disillusionment that came from in the as, at the tail end of the 50s in the 60s and 70s of like what that American dream is supposed to be. Oh, yeah. Um, and then leading into sort of a. Um, a corporate, you know, the almighty dollar 80s kind of thing. And the dream keeps shifting. The The ideas of what we're supposed to do as Americans um, continues to shift. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, it, it doesn't just happen overnight. It changes as time goes on. Mm-hmm. So the, the things that you stood for politically or, um, or, or for yourself or for what you want for your life those are much different than they were maybe 20 years ago, I would imagine, you know, and they're going to be different 20 years from now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, where, and what, what are those things that make those influences happen? Um, it's the danger of like the insidiousness that you, that you can just kind of come to accept something that maybe isn't for 
that wouldn't serve your best interest later on or early, you know, earlier in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. This, this movie's spooky when it touches on all that stuff. Yeah, it really is. It, it, it dives. I, I want to say it's like one of the first, you know, sci-fi horror movies that really dives pretty deep into your, you know, what, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm like, what's the word I'm looking for? It's, uh, you know, just thematically dives really deep into, into, uh, a lot deeper than other horror films and sci-fi were, were doing at the time. You know, a lot of sci-fi films were just, you know, aliens come to earth and we fight the aliens or we're, you know, like forbidden planet where they, they land on another planet and the, the aliens are, evil and and just trying to kill and the humans are trying to survive and that's it but this has a lot more uh going on well yeah i mean it's uh, exactly um you 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 have to take a an introspective look at yourself about how would you feel if you saw this coming around and then what is that and if and this movie sort of paints a certain inevitability um, of to what's happening, mm-hmm. and then do you give in? When do you give in? Um, I I'll tell you. By the end of this movie, I'm like, you know, may as well just 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 steer into it. Go for it. <laughs> it doesn't sound. <laughs> they're saying it isn't that bad. Maybe it really isn't that bad. Who knows? Hmm. I was kind of believing. Um, and the fact I, that they they said it, you know, in in small town America. You know, audiences could completely identify with it. It was like it's like the perfect small town, the ideal small town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of works in that thing, like because you, uh, uh, yeah, back in the fifties, more so, like you're you're trusting your community, you're trusting the people around you, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and, and especially in like a suburban or small town kind of thing, there's kind of a, a majority of, of how people think. I mean, and 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 what they believe in. You know, there. It's a community of people. So mm-hmm. to have them shift and then just sort of gradually change with them um, is kind of kind of easy to do, you know? Yeah. Whereas in the, the this remake we're talking about in San Francisco, you know, it's, a, it's supposed to be a big sort of um, progressive city and um, where, where everyone has a chance to, you know, establish their own identity and to see everyone just sort of... Uh, fall in line under under sort of one sort of thing like it's you would think that's much harder to do but it's the cities that that the, you can see in this film like they're using the cities as a, a main place to spread like they start yeah. in the cities uh, almost as far as this you know film is concerned you know there's no there's no plan that you can sort of can suss out but yeah um, they're using the, the the millions of people in one place to, to spread it throughout the smaller regions, so yeah. pretty pretty smart idea. And yeah, this movie, this remake is only sci-fi in that it opens with a, a sequence of another another planet with these like gooey creatures floating mm-hmm. through space, <laughs> yeah. um, and then you get a, and you do get like a small little uh, monologue about where they come from later on. Um, right, but but you don't. It kind of makes that. I think that makes it easier to swallow. Like if it was just something that was happening, without an explanation, and however small it is, uh, you'd want to question. Like, well, why is it? Why do people? Why are people suddenly changing? But it's that. I think that outside influence, that that thing that grabs you, 
that scary um mm-hmm. and and everyone just sort of leaning into it yeah and, and you know before we just fully transition into the into the movie we're actually covering today just one sure. more thing i want to note about the 56 version of course uh they've you know obviously the movie had a big impact there was uh the original ending and spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it uh the movie ends on a I guess a sort of a happy note that, you know, Kevin McCarthy, who's the lead in in the film and who's a fantastic character actor who's all over the place in the God, all the way from the fifties into, into like the late nineties, um, is kind of like a, they, they, they bookend the movie with it. It starts with him in, uh, under, I, I think he's in a hospital, but he's under like military, supervision because he's a raving lunatic that you know there's aliens out there and the people are being taken over and they're not themselves anymore and everyone thinks he's crazy uh and at the end of the movie they uh something happens and they realize that he was you know they end up believing him and so the last you know shot of the movie is his doctor like calling the fbi to come in and get involved Ah. so it's just sort of like you know, uh, I wouldn't say it's a happy ending, but it's a little more optimistic. Yeah, the idea that maybe we can fight back or... Right, or they'll, can they'll figure it out. <laughs> figure it out, like something can happen. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. but that was not the original ending. The original ending was much darker and it was supposed to end with him. There wouldn't have been that beginning to, to you know, put a parenthesis around it. Uh, it would have it was would have ended with him as the raving, you know, crazy maniac running through the streets warning people. And that's one of the famous shots of the movie is when he's, you know, yelling like right into the camera, you know, to that, you know, warning everybody. So right, uh, right. that was where it was supposed to end. And then they, the studio kind of forced a, uh, a more of a optimistic ending. I could see that. I could see that being sort of more of a, a studio decision. Sure. Yeah. Like, and if you know anything about Don Siegel, you'd know, you know, he was not really on board with it, but he sort of had to go along with it at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, the 70s director, Don Siegel, would not have done that at all. But, no. you know, 50s, his career wasn't, you know, all the way uh, at its peak yet. So. He just kind of had to roll with it, and it's still, and it, the movie still works, and it's great. Um, it is, you know, it is very 1950s, so uh, you have to, you know, recognize that when you're watching it. So it's in that 50s style, but that doesn't, for that particular movie, it doesn't bother me. Well, great! I'm glad you can enjoy it all these years since. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, highly uh, recommend it. So if you uh, haven't seen it, give it a chance. Do you have it? Can I borrow it? Of course. Or we can just use the, you know what? I'm going to use my reconsinimation purchase card uh, and order it. Uh, oh, yeah. You can, uh, oh, you can get that anywhere now. Yeah. Yeah. Can That's, you sign, will you sign off on the purchase though? I need an approval. Uh, I'll sign purchase. off on that one. And okay. if, you, uh, if you want to, uh, if anyone else wants to order those, you call 1 900 909 9900. And then, you know, dial one and then press enter two. Mm-hmm. And then a seven and an eight, and then that'll bring you to the right prompt. Okay, and then then you'll get a copy of 
the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, well, your... you'll have to answer some security questions. It's just right. a fifty-question test. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as you get forty-nine of them right, you'll you'll be able to apply. All right, cool. All right, yeah. wow. Well, that, hey, that's open to all our listeners. Give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so you know, fast forward twenty years later. And uh, Philip Kaufman, who has some just might written, say twenty-two years, some might 20, say twenty-two, 22 years. even. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Let's be exact, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, uh, <laughs> Philip Kaufman, who had just was just coming off of uh, Outlaw Josie Wales, which have you seen that by the way? Outlaw Josie Wales, the original Outlaw Josie Wales. No. F- fantastic. Great western. Great western. I know that's not necessarily your thing but that's uh one of the better ones and definitely mm-hmm. one of clint eastwood's best i like that and i like back to the future three i'm, I'm in i like there a classic West. those are westerns i could probably watch maybe a little wagons east true well, it's not yeah. really a western i guess but <laughs> <laughs> well it starts in the west as far as yeah. i know <laughs> maybe city slickers two <laughs> yeah search the for Yuli's gold? Curly's gold oh curly's gold <laughs> Did I say Yuli's Gold? What movie yeah, that's is that? A, that's that's a Peter Fonda movie. R.I.P. <laughs> I'm mixing up all the cinema. Let's just start mixing up all the movies. <laughs> well, that's like Mannequin 2 on the rocks. <laughs> like not not the, quite the movie that's out there, but I would love to see it. And the outlaw Ferris Bueller. <laughs> right. They all go together. <laughs> um... Anyway, so, so we, yeah, we're 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 now here. We are in the gritty seventies, and mm. you guys, everyone knows how much I love the seventies. You'll love it a uh, lot. The whole the whole movie business has changed, and uh, that old studio system is long gone by this point. And we are, you know, almost starting to be on the downward slide of uh, of New Hollywood. But mm-hmm. uh, this is still this is still right in there. Um, as you know, we talked about the Driver and Animal House from this year. So uh, we've we've covered a little bit, and you can check those out in the archives at www.reconcinemation.com. Uh, and yeah, we just now we're gonna we've also got there's a lot happening politically, in there's a lot happening politically in the '70s with the post Nixon era and mm-hmm. this whole anti anti government uh, feeling that's going on and. And how the government was, you know, prior to the 70s or in the late 60s, the government was sort of viewed as like the good guys and the heroes and and fighting for what's right. And after Nixon, that that point of view really shifts. And there's a lot more paranoia. There's a lot more, you know, the government's out to get you. They're they're watching. They're listening. Kind of big brother. So like the truth is out there kind of situation. Yeah, uh, exactly. Exactly that. The government is the big daddy now. So yeah, uh, that's where we're at. And we've got, you know, we've got a lot of films in the 70s that have that sense. You've got all the president's men and the parallax view and three days of the condor. Uh, it's it's, you know, there's a, there's a big that's where I don't know if that's the birth of government conspiracy, but that is kind of the explosion of it. Mm. And. Philip Kaufman, who was a, uh, you know, an up up and coming writer, and would down the road direct some some classic films. 
uh, was really in the beginning of his career here and thought that it would be a good idea to kind of tap that mentality in with a, a reboot. It, it wasn't even a reboot. It was, it was, it's arguable whether it's a sequel or not, but I think he considers it a sequel. So, you know, make an updated version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they shifted, you know, there's a couple couple things that they changed. And now they're able to do it um, with, you know, the support of, of the studio. Uh, they were able to shoot it in San Francisco, like the that was the original idea for the first film, mm-hmm. and really take advantage of that city, like you were mentioning. Uh, you know, San Francisco is filled with free-thinking, free-willed people who are, uh, you know, not necessarily going to fall under the thumb of the government. Right, right. Uh, they, they, they have that free will. They, they are in control of what happens in their, in their city. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So the, you'd think the hardest people to turn to one kind of... Uh, you know, one locked in mindset and, and view on life, uh, that would be the hardest crowd to, to make submit to that way of thinking. Sure. Uh, so he starts working closely with, uh, with a writer named W.D. Richter and, uh, you know, starts rounding up a crew. Michael Chapman is the director of photography who was i mean one of the all-time greats i mean he shot raging bull so let's oh raging bull and all the right moves and that's all i need to see on a resume oh my god i'm hiring him for my (laughs) next picture i don't he needs a job he's in he gets it chapman's hired chapman get him whatever it takes (laughs) i know michael chapman i don't care how old he is get him to the studio we're going to become best friends. I'm going to call him Chappie. Hey, Chappie. Hey, Chappie. Chappie, Chappie, Chappie. That's how it goes. Uh, and, and they've got, they come up with a whole visual style uh, for this film. And it's really, if, if you watch it, it, it's it's film noir. I mean, it's, it's a colorized film yeah, noir. For sure. Some of these shots where they're, you know, running through the city and there's these long, you know, shadows and these these particular ways of lighting that is is just straight film noir it's just Mm -hmm. it's just a modern version of it it's actually one of the better examples of it it's and it's a hard thing to pull off getting that film noir tone but uh, they certainly do it i mean it it feels uh matthew bennell who is uh, played by donald sutherland i mean he feels like a detective yeah Oh, for sure. The way he's portrayed as a hard-nosed health inspector <laughs> in a trench coat. <laughs> like, How this often guy, did you see that job in a movie? That, that's so insane. I mean, I, the first time watching it, I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like, he's, he's, the, he's the, the tough, uh, hard-nosed health inspector who plays by his own rules kind of guy. <laughs> and it's just sort of like he's just making sure there's no rat turds in the... Uh, in the the Boulia bays or whatever the yeah. hell, you know, it's just sort of this funny thing. Like he takes his job so seriously and he seems almost, he's a lonely guy, you know, he doesn't have a wife or a girlfriend or anything and he's just living his life and he's, 
You know, he's got it. That, that, that's sort of like that first idea of him. You know, we, we expand on him and his the way he lives his life and his how smart he is and his culture. And, you know, he can cook. He cooks great dishes for himself. And he, oh, he's a, yeah, he's he's a wonderful guy. chef. Yeah, just wonderful chef. And he kind of he can kind of woo this this woman who's his good friend and who's already involved. But, you know, he's not going to kind of cross the line. And it's just. He's just living this great life as the the health inspector of San Francisco. Yeah, the the uh, I think we're going to market that. I just trademarked it while you were talking. Uh, mm-hmm. Hard nosed health inspector with uh, Matthew Bennell's picture. <laughs> yeah, uh, that'll be available at reconcinimation Yeah, fifty nine ninety nine. Just that that small price to pay for uh, glory. That is a a child's small T shirt. Yes. Uh, fifty nine ninety nine. Yeah, an adult uh extra large would be one hundred nine ninety nine. <laughs> yeah, and it's a great stocking stuffer. You know, Christmas isn't far isn't too far away. So the holidays uh, who, are coming. Who wouldn't want a hard nosed health inspector Matthew <laughs> Benell T shirt for just the the measly price of one oh nine ninety nine? <laughs> yeah. So check out the shop and and care about your family and buy yeah. some. <laughs> You know what? Buy five for the whole gang. Buy five. You take care of everybody. They're going to be so happy. They come in hot pink and uh, laser orange and the the hottest colors of the season. Yeah. <laughs> I bet that's I bet I bet Matthew Bennell. I bet he wears like neon colored underwear. He's that kind of guy. That guy? Not in the 70s. Not in the 70s. It's Maybe great. once we clicked over into it's the 80s, great. then yeah. Yeah, 82, maybe, yeah. 83. Yeah. But no, in the 70s, he wears gray boxers, old. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, Matthew Bennell, uh, no, <laughs> when we meet him cooking at home, and I, I think we watched the movie together some time ago, uh, you know, he's wearing a very comfortable knit sweater. Mm. That, that I and feel like my, we've seen it before. It felt very familiar, right? It felt like the sweater... Donald Sutherland wore an Animal House when we meet him, um, but I did I did a comparison. It's not the same sweater. Oh, what? It's not. No, all this time. I know. All this time, and all the, the Hollywood rumors have been wrong. The rumors have been playing you. The for rumor a fool. mill. There's a there's a monkey wrench in that mill now. <laughs> but I mean, all you had to do was put a frame by frame comparison, and that would shatter the rumor. But apparently people want to believe what they want to believe. So not the same sweater, but very much the the they, they they just very much a different style. But it is a long, comfortable, like, you know, mm-hmm. house house coat kind of sweater. I bet he had wore. the other one just hanging in the closet, though. That's the thing. Maybe he had like 12 and he just, you know, picked one I for bet. each movie. And it's yeah, like, I, yeah, I got this. Don't worry. Yeah. I like what I like. <laughs> Just like all his corduroy suits in this movie. I think yeah. he's wearing corduroy. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. He's, he's got the style. He's a, oh, he's, we he can, dresses well. We can market a lot around Matthew Bennell. Let's yeah. just let's put that out there. Should we do the the Reconcinimation fashion Matthew Bennell collection? Like we just we recreate all oh. of his outfits. I love this and, idea, and we, and we just we put them out as actual, actual the Benel collection, the Benel, <laughs> the Benel slacks, the Benel ties. Um, I mean, he looks good in a suit. Let's let's be honest. 
Yeah, well, Donald Sutherland in the 70s, you kind of can't get much cooler than that. And I mean, what is Donald Sutherland? Six foot eight? Like, he's a monster. Like, tall, but just looks great. And he's probably actually, like, what? Six foot three? Six foot. Yeah, four. but they make him look about seven one. <laughs> he's Shaq. Easy. He's yeah. Shaq of, of, of the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Sutherland had a great track record uh, all throughout the 70s. He's in, you know, kicking it off with MASH and Kelly's Heroes. Uh, Clute, which is a great detective, another kind of noir style mm-hmm. uh, detective film with him and Jane Fonda. Uh, and then, then he takes a dive into Don't Look Now, which is a really uh, it affected me. It's a horror film from nineteen. I want to say nineteen seventy three. I could could be a little wrong there, just a mm-hmm. little wrong. Okay. Uh, but it's uh, it's set in Venice, so if you're a fan of Italy, just watch it just for that, for the visuals. Uh, but very dark and uh, kind of a fucked up movie. Um, really? Yeah. What? Ooh, I kind of want to watch that. In the late 70s, he makes this little, just dips his, his toe in the water in the comedy world with uh, some quick, small appearances in uh, Kentucky Fried Movie mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Animal House, as we mentioned mm-hmm. previously, both directed by John Landis. Yes. He, and the film he released right before this was The Great Train Robbery with uh, with Sean Connery. That's right. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, Sorry. so he's all over the place in the 70s. He be, this, is, this is a working actor. <laughs> <laughs> and no, along I, the way, he creates Kiefer Sutherland. Along so. the way, he creates him. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he was in... Th- two to three movies a year all throughout the 70s like he just yeah very busy guy um and i didn't even mention the italian films that he was in uh Mm. casanova and 1900 and you know he's he's literally all over the place yeah he's not happy if he's not working oh he's got to be working 24 7 you know donald he's gotta be working yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's what they say yeah he's gotta be working um, and not only, you know, it's not just Donald Sutherland in this movie, my friend. We There's more a, people. Well, there are more people. We've got Brooke Adams, who was uh, mostly a, a TV actress who had just done a, a great film called Days of Heaven, uh, mm-hmm. kind of one of the best of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't see, seen that, definitely check that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is the, I would say, the female lead of the film, kind of right with, uh, neck and neck with Donald Sutherland. Absolutely. Uh, but we've got uh, Veronica Cartwright, who we oh. mentioned before in our Alien episode, but way back in, uh, although well, that was year two. Was Alien in year two? Because yeah, we've done Alien so many. Year, yeah, it was year two. That's right. Which uh, we are currently in. We're currently in year we're two. still in year two until next summer. Yeah. Uh, but Veronica Cartwright, yeah, great, great presence on this movie. Great supporting actress role. Yeah, she always um, fit well in, in a horror movie. I mean, yeah. whether it's The Birds or, or this or Alien and, and many others, mm-hmm. uh, those are just some of her major ones. But uh, very good at coming across as, you know, a, with a panicking situation. Yeah. she, And the, I, and I really like her in this in that she is, uh, you know, it's the difference between, like, her and this and her and alien is like, 
you know, the, the horror of, of alien kind of overtook her character. I thought, I felt like yeah. she was, but this one, she is doing everything she can to be sensible about surviving this situation. Um, because it really is these four friends at the very, you know, in the middle of this film, realizing what's happened. And the four mm-hmm. of them are trying to figure out how to survive. Right. And she, she, along with the rest of them are as, as competent as, as they can be to like figure it out. And, um, it's just, it was great to see her in that, in that kind of role, like having so used to her seeing her at alien, um, you know, over and over. Uh, like, oh, this, like, she knows what she's doing, or at least, you know, she's mm-hmm. smart enough to understand this stuff. So, I don't know. So it, it, for someone who probably is not, I'm not so familiar with all the things Veronica Cartwright did. Um, these these standout roles, like, oh, I, I like seeing that 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 parody between them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and um, and she's definitely she she keeps her wits in this movie, whereas in Alien, she's definitely kind of overtaken by the by the like you said the horror of the situation yeah which is a fine it's fine for the character it doesn't matter but like yeah it was just great seeing her in this kind of character because mm-hmm. um, you need your wits about you if you're going to survive an alien invasion oh yeah Always. but um yeah. so we talked donald we talked brooke adams we talked veronica cartwright we mentioned leonard nimoy leonard nimoy yeah leonard nimoy who at this point was very in the anti-star trek phase and this was mm-hmm. this was an a a he was cast in this movie to help release spock from him you should definitely play a psychoanalyst in a sci-fi movie about aliens invading the earth you're <laughs> like, playing an analytical logical person <laughs> in a movie about uh a, an invasion in from another planet that's yeah, so that funny should... <laughs> go ahead <laughs> no that should but that should definitely differentiate him from spock <laughs> <laughs> i know right he's so like there's so much similarity in a, in a strange way so much similar between uh his character in this and spock yeah, if you think about it, but I mean, yeah. he, he he plays a warm human friend throughout most of this film, and you kind of you buy it, you know, for the whole part. But mm-hmm. as far as we're concerned as viewers, uh, he was probably taken the entire time. Like we had never, I don't, I I don't know. Like, what is your take? Like, do you think he was already taken and using his influence as this, you know, famous psychoanalyst? Um, from the time we met him, or do you think it was he taken in between at any point? What's your theory? Because uh, it's not established, you can't say. But what do you? It's think? it's not. That's the thing. That's one of the really cool things about this movie is that you don't know specifically when people are taken over. Yeah. You you mentioned you know you mentioned in the beginning you you see really like really the only sci-fi um, you know special effect that involves like outer space and aliens is the opening sequence, which was done and which was done very cheaply, believe it or not. I can Um, believe it, but it looks cool. Yeah. Yeah, It looks great. And you just see these, I mean, they're almost like sperm or like they're, you know, this gooey kind of, I don't know what you'd call it, like a feathery kind of thing Mm -hmm. that, um, you see them like leave whatever planet they're on, assuming that they've taken it over and, and used it up for whatever it was worth. And they're surv- it's it's they're searching for a place to survive. That's really their only mentality is to breed and continue the survival of their race. 
mm-hmm. and they you know go through space and they find earth and come down through the rain and you see him immediately latch on to you know plants and trees and greenery and flowers and and uh they you know that's how they begin the invasion really yeah and as people fall asleep near these these pods that have have created or these flowers that have blossomed the uh the alien is able to duplicate you and remove your basically your your humanity and your soul into a new husk that looks like you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but is with their one like-minded kind of being yes uh, but we don't see specifically when like in the beginning of the movie you just see it you see it all you see these flowers all over the place and it's very subtle right yeah you I mean you see that it, they've they've come but they're they're around people are interacting with them you know our um, Elizabeth interacts with one like noticing it and then all of that I mean it's uh it, it's it seems innocuous you know you don't know but all the time you're watching like the people in the city all of these lingering shots these very interesting shots of like for the viewer to take in you you can kind of question like what's going on what the people were seeing lots of activity on the street but i think the point is you never know who mm-hmm. who is taken and who wasn't you know you don't know who's going about their day and who's um, you know continuing the plot for uh, of the of the invaders? Yeah, um, because they have to look like they're part of the city. You know, they're doing that. right, and it gets scarier and scarier as you start figuring out what's happening. That oh god, everyone I've been looking at, like I don't know, like who who has been? Um, because even Elizabeth early on in the movie, in her place of work, runs into somebody in the hall, and they just sort of look at each other. And you kind of wonder, like, why is this guy looking at her that way? And yeah, and it's like, well, I guess was that just a weird moment, or was he actually taken at the time? And you know, there's no, it's not important to know the answer, but you don't know the answer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's they set a tone immediately. I mean, it, it, even the the first the opening shots, you're already starting to see uh, it, it. I mean, you don't have a sense of how long those things have been there. But you can you can get an idea that there are certain people are already taken over, so it's already begun. Oh yeah, and they do a great. It's a, a lot of this movie is about. I, I really suggest you watch the movie, and just watch the background, and you know don't watch the the main actors. Just watch mm-hmm. everything else that's going on around them, mm-hmm. and it makes it even creepier because you you start to catch on as the movie progresses progresses more and more people are just staring at them yeah, and just watching them. And if you, you can see people in the background, like we'll stop what they're doing and just look over and just the entire scene, they're just staring at them. And that's more and more as the movie goes on. I mean, the opening sequence is like uh, kids playing in a park and we have one of the best cameos in the history of movies. That's right. I'll say it. It's Robert Duvall, of all people. Yeah. Dressed as a priest, swinging on a swing, just kind of like evilly staring at, at Brooke Adams. Yeah. yeah. Just observing her and while he's wearing his priest frocks. Yeah. 
on a on a swing. What? And, <laughs> and Robert Duvall's like a major star at this point. So yeah. it's uh it was it was a great little cameo. And and really he did it because he was close friends with Philip Kaufman and was was in the area and Philip told him to come down to set and they'll throw a a costume on him and and put him in the movie and it was yeah. like probably he made zero dollars off it but yeah. so much so much harder to do that today yeah do you, you realize how many people would have to be scrambling to get a deal memo down to set to make sure oh, Robert yeah. Duvall signed it yeah because we we can't roll the camera until <laughs> until he signs it it's got to be and different you, for features. You get his agent involved, and then suddenly you're paying three million dollars instead of a thousand. So yeah, yeah, three million plus ten percent. Uh, yeah, to, for Duvall on there. You know, this is all BS. This this Hollywood system. I get it. I get it now. I get yeah. what they're saying. This is. But this but, uh, this ranks right up there with the Tom Cruise cameo in Young Guns. Uh, yeah, right. They, you yeah. don't even know it's him, and there he nope. is. Yeah. You couldn't say. I that's I I wish more of the bigger types would do these things where they just kind of they can because they have the the power to do whatever they want. Like their friends, they don't put them in movies for like brief seconds. Like, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be fun? Has that? What was like the last one that didn't? That was like so unexpected. I don't even know. I don't even know. Yeah, I, I can't. Uh, maybe maybe Patrick Wilson and Prometheus. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, the, just right off the top of my head. That's, I mean, that's up there. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I haven't watched a movie post nineteen ninety nine, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, same as you, so I don't even know. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, do they? Still I've only make heard. Them? I don't know. I don't know. I've only heard. I've heard rumors. If it's not Marvel, it doesn't exist to me. Yeah, that Marvel's the only time in Hollywood. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and I mean, so, uh, with that, that's the thing, even in the city of San Francisco, uh, someone you might recognize as a trustworthy, notable person, like a priest, a Robert Duvall type is there and he's sitting there staring at you and you, you would probably just think nothing of it, but inside maybe he's been taken. Yeah. He's doing, he, now he's got to reach out to the clergy. You could do a whole movie on, on, on his character. You you could a spinoff. You could a spinoff. Yeah, Father and it Duvall ends right there where he looks over and he looks at Brooke Adams. Boom, boom. Prequel done. Oh God, Chris Chris Pratt as Robert Duvall. Oh my God, you could do the Body Snatcher universe. Oh my, yes, I love this. Yes, if it's not the, a cinematic the IBS, universe, the, the IBSU, the IBS Invasion of Body Snatchers universe. Oh my yeah. God. I We're wonder. all about the universes on this show. If it's not a cinematic universe, it's really not worth exploring. <laughs> yes. It's got to be part of a group. Yeah. It can't be a singular story. Exactly. It's kind of the theme of the movie anyway. So right. Right. it's got to be, yeah. It's all, for, be. all for one, you know. Um, so what so else, what else we, we, goes we on? Mentioned, what do we know? We mentioned, Who's in this? What's yeah, going we in? mentioned I the rest of the... We mentioned the rest of the cast, uh, but there's Except, one person you left out, David. Wait, do you think I forgot this person, or do you think I was waiting for a perfect time to just he's, bring he's, him on home? He's listening to us live cast this just directly to him, 
and he texted me that he was upset that you forgot him. So that's not my fault. You haven't said his name either. I was just building it up. Oh well, I mean, I was helping. <laughs> well, it's it's time for the triumphant return. It's been over a god a year and maybe three or four months. Huh. Uh, we haven't seen him since we covered Independence Day mm-hmm. way back in episode four of yeah. uh, year one. Mm-hmm. It's the total package, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. He's, He's in this thing. He's, He's in this. It's it's one of his first major roles, too. This was the thing that, like, sort of established him. Like, he, he's been in those minor roles, but this was the first breakout kind of hit for him, right? Yeah, and believe it or not, I mean, he was doing a lot of TV and a lot of small parts in movies like Death Wish, but he was uh, he was playing a thug a lot of the time. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Fuck. <coughs> Say that again. But believe it or not, he he was playing a thug most of the time. Oh, a Can bad you picture guy? that? The, 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 the total, total package as a, a thug? A thug beating up people, threatening them, all yeah. that violence? No, he's a hero. That's the gold bloom that we've come to know and love. Ugh. But uh, that was where he got started. Oh, wow. So, so this, is, this is his first kind of breakout role, you know, leading role. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he really uh, planted the seeds for a brilliant career where he proved he could be anything. That's why he's the total package. He's the total package. Good he looking, be, great talent, yeah, yeah. tall as hell, uh, charming. Weird. Uh, great hair, very sexy. weird. Um, God, wow. He's everything. And he's had a lot of great hairstyles. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, mean those... we know a guy named Kurt who could... Uh, you know who would win that fight about hair? Of but, course, uh, absolutely. The total package, Jeff Goldblum, certainly uh, is is uh, stiff competition. With those Goldblum locks, the gold D locks, the gold locks. I'm trying to the hair. I'm trying, like locks being hair. The golden Goldblum. black locks of uh-huh. the total package. Ah, oh, that guy. Wow, what hair? Uh, but no, he's he's great in this. Is is so much fun as a like sort of a. Plays like a minor foil to to Nimoy's character, and then just sort of tries to 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 logic his way through this. And of course, he just plays that sort of like there's that, that neurosis in him, and ah, he's, he's so good against against sort of a more stable um, uh, Donald Sutherland. Like they're mm-hmm. it's it's such a great pairing of the two of them. Because um, like I don't even think. They're uh, Sutherland and Goldblum are like that great friends. Like they know each other, right? But they're not like best buds, are they? I mean, no, they're... I don't think they're best friends. But they are. They're you know they're friends. Yeah, they're friends. They run the same circles. But then the everything that's going on sort of collides, and then they're you know they're stuck to like figure this out together. Yeah, and and, um, and that's that's what's kind of interesting about bringing uh, you know Benel's friend uh played by Leonard Nimoy into it who's at odds with Goldblum so there's like there's these little minor conflicts that help sort of inflate the situation where you can kind of start doubting people like you can understand why they doubt each other or don't believe in each other um because with like uh Nimoy's character what's his name again it's uh Kibner Kibner yeah David Kibner right like and I feel like this movie is sort of a a big like an, I don't know if it's a big indictment or just kind of an indictment on like the psycho babble of 
psychoanalysis and all of that. Mm-hmm. The the idea of that um, the, these theories being spouted forth are kind of hokey or just or they're not solving anything or attacking anything directly, but it's mm-hmm. uh, uh, a little more nebulous. Um, but of course, like Kibner is like trying to he portrays it as logic very basic logic to sort of diffuse all their theories about what's happening, which should give you some doubt. But I mean, if you look at it, it's like, it kind of makes sense from a logical perspective. Maybe they didn't, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, but once you play it all back, you sort of see like, yeah, no, he's just using what the, the talent of, of that psychoanalysis to sort of, put everyone at ease or tr- yeah. attempting to put anyone at ease. Like, yeah, you probably, this probably isn't true. Don't, you're panicking. This is crazy. Well, um, and, and if he is, you know, if by the time we meet him, if he has been already taken over, you know, really all he's got to do is get people to, you know, calm down for one night and then they'll yeah. po- pod, pod them, pod yeah. body snatch them. Well, yeah, they can rest easy for one night and then just, ima- I mean, everyone has to sleep. So it's just a matter, it's a numbers game. So you only yeah. have a small amount. You only need to capture a, f- a small amount. Plus the replication process, I think takes five seconds. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. It's like, it, I mean, it's probably 10 to 15 minutes at a, at a, at a, at a length cinematically. It's only a few minutes, but it just seems like, yeah, this is not this is not hard to like replicate these people and transfer their essence. Yeah, I mean, some, it's it's a little unclear on that timeline of how you know how you know how this is happening and how quickly yeah. it's happening. I mean, some you know there's a scene where they're all kind of at uh, they're at Matthew Bennell's apartment and they're all falling asleep, and it seems like it's a much slower process. Like that, it would kind of take maybe a few hours, but then later on, uh, you've got another one wh- which where it takes like thirty seconds. Yeah, like it just happens, um, and maybe that depends on the size of the pod that's nearby. I mean, who or knows? how sleepy you are? Yeah, how tired are you? So, uh, I mean, and all those things don't matter, like the actual you know science of it all. But it's uh, it's scary. It's a scary thought to that if you. You just fall asleep. You you're not going to wake up. Well, and you then, you'll lose yourself. You know that yeah. that's the you lose what makes you you and makes you an, a unique individual. I mean, as far as you can perceive, though. I mean, they say that this is they're still you. That you're still there, but you're part of something more. Um, it that and there was there is something kind of comforting to that. Imagine he says you don't need hate, and you, I mean, but he says you don't need love either. Uh, when it's it comes down to it, but doesn't that wouldn't that solve a lot of problems if you didn't have you know, like the emotions to sort of like cloud everything and like it it would, but they they you know they make the point that that is what makes you human. Sure, yeah, those no. things, yeah, of course, yeah. So without those, what are you? Yeah, you're some you're some gooey sperm alien. <laughs> I think. <laughs> who after one quick bath looks exactly like, you know, you would have. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't think I'd give in at the end of the movie if I was still running. And then it was just like, well, you know, they've got buses going out to every major town outside. I mean, there's, you can't fight it. It's over. Time to give up. <laughs> uh, I mean, cause... It's, it's crazy how quickly the invasion happens in this. It's 
I mean, it really is. It really is scary. I mean, the the, the thought of what's really happening in this movie for me makes this, uh, you know, up pretty high on the scare fest because it's oh, yeah. not about. I mean, it has nothing to do with jump scares or the slasher movies. Um, it's much more psychological and mm-hmm. almost like you could believe that it, it it's possible that could happen. Yeah, I you mean, know, with with the right with the right infrastructure in place for sure. Yeah, it feels very realistic. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, if they're taking over the people who run the city, you know, they just use those resources. And then their singular focus is just using the resources they have. And they don't have to start from scratch. They have all the knowledge of the humans and then use the, the, the infrastructure that's already in place. Um, it, it, it is. It's exponential. Like from when we start when we start the film to where we end up, it was full scale invasion. You can hear where they're going, what cities they're going to, mm-hmm. because the 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 pretenders you know the the body snatchers are going to visit their relatives or whatever in other cities like like here take your pod you're going there you're going blah, 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 blah. it's kind of like it's it's nuts so it wouldn't take long for that kind of thing to happen in major cities all over the country oh in yeah the world I mean, by the, the end of the movie be- san francisco is like the hub of like the center you know the centerpiece of this whole invasion yeah I mean, if, even if you imagine as the, San Francisco is the only place it was happening first, and then by the end of the film, I mean, like, only a few days go by. Uh, you probably guess a week throughout the, the whole film at mm-hmm. best. And it's already, it's a, it's already a nightmare situation. They're, it's worse than any epidemic, you know? Um, yeah. That could happen, and you can't contain it, so. Um, well, and they see, as, as the movie progresses, you know, you know, it, it's kind of a rapid growth of of how quickly everyone is becoming, or people are becoming, or you know, taken over and duplicated. Uh, you'll see, like in the again in the background, you see the more and more garbage trucks pulling up and people just throwing these large, you know, looks like heavy kind of trash bags in there. And later on, you find out those are the remains of the humans bodies their original bodies i guess and uh they're just being disposed of and and duplicated more and more and people are bringing these you know flowers home and leaving them on people you know their loved ones bedside tables as they go to sleep and then that's it and then it happens overnight and they're just gone yeah the bod the pod grows and duplicates you and that's it you're you're done for Oh boy, what a terrible way to go! Yeah, you know, no uh, choice in the no choice in the matter. You know why? Yeah. Why couldn't someone have been like charismatic enough to like present this idea to people? Because you figure like thirty percent of the people would just sign up for it anyway. Well, probably, yeah. You know, imagine how shitty your life would be that you'd be like, yeah, I could pro- yeah, I'll do it. And I mean, I think a lot of people would do it. I don't know. I, don't, I think there would be. Yeah. I mean, not not an indictment on how shitty their life is, but like. Life is hard for a lot of people. <laughs> like, imagine you don't have the conflict and the things that um, make it difficult to live in this world. And it mm-hmm. is a hard world. And it's, you know, that we there's there's rules that you sort of have to follow. Um, I can see that as a, a relief to those who 
ended up succumbing, you know, realizing that if, if indeed the, the memories transfer, the, the, the way they describe that it's, it's you who goes over uh, and becomes this new thing. You're still there, but you're part of this big thing. I bet there's a lot of relief among most people, but they don't have the power to do anything other than after that. I mean, they're right. part of this thing. But I don't know. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm into this. <laughs> but I think the scary thing is, is it's kind of appealing, right? <laughs> you know that. Uh, well, that's one of the scary things. I'm scared of you that you're thinking that now. I, I mean, I'm trying to figure out a way to create this in my own backyard. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I mean, the, the thing is, that's what's so great about this as a fantasy is like r- this type of thing is not. And in a sci-fi way, not possible, but we have to face the realities of what kind, what do you believe in and what are you going to go with and what are you going to subscribe to mm-hmm. without questioning it. And I think no matter what we think, no matter how open-minded we are, the things that we believe in, um, there are certain things we don't question, even, even if we act like we're open-minded. There's things that have to be hard set in our kind of core belief. Um, cause otherwise you're going to kind of spiral out of control. Uh, it's not true of everybody and not, and certainly not true of, of people, uh, in America exclusively or, or that there's some enlightenment outside of America that makes it possible. But I think a lot of people who operate under the guise of sort of free will and all that, you still have an idea of like what makes sense, what's right and wrong, what's... Mm-hmm what's good for the general public or all of that. And um, who's to say all of that's correct. And then you'll sort of die on that hill. We all have, I guess the idea is that we all have a hill we'll die on. Um, no matter, no matter how open we are. Yeah. Well, and, th- and that's what's going on here for, for our cast, Donald Sutherland and, and the total package and Brooke Adams and Veronica Cartwright is that they, they've chosen to fight and to try and resist and try and, you know, really find a way out to warn people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I love, by the way, what officially, I guess, you know, even according to uh, Philip Kaufman, uh, what makes it officially a sequel is we do get that appearance by Kevin McCarthy, mm-hmm. uh, who is the lead in the 1956 version, mm-hmm. who has that, you know, he's running in the middle of the street in uh, downtown San Francisco warning everybody that they're coming they're coming and 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 then he runs off and is immediately hit by a car and killed and this is early on in the movie so they kind of like brush it off as some crazy guy and don't take it seriously but yeah in theory he is miles Bennell from the original film right does does uh kaufman say like as, as far as he's concerned that's the same character yeah in oh well, okay. <laughs> so that's what makes it technically a sequel that, you know, did they get this under control uh, after the first film or, you know, there's it's it's open to interpretation, but or or has he been running around crazy this whole time? Right. Right, right, right. Uh well, that's cool. That's interesting. I didn't realize that. Uh, you know what's one of the creepiest things, most beautiful but also creepy about the uh, about this movie? It's mm-hmm. the damn bagpipes. 
But I mean, isn't it interesting, like those moments where, you know, the movie's very quiet in terms of a soundtrack or, or a score, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when they're, when sort of the moments of terror or the, the idea that these things are around and then you just hear that sort of the womp, womp, like going through. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and it can get louder and louder. And of course, it's nothing anyone can hear. The characters can't hear it. It's not an actual sound, but it is sort of like a, it's almost this heartbeat kind of sound. Mm-hmm. Um, this it sort of penetrates the scene. Like that shows you like there's sort of an inevitability that's coming and it's surrounding you. And um, so, you know, so I'm, I'm separating from the bagpipes, but like this the idea of like in these moments, things are happening and there's nothing these people can do. I mean, they keep escaping for, a, you know, for a little while. But uh, I don't know that the, the that sound they make that womp 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 is uh, yeah. kind of uh, it's it's off putting. It's it, well, it is kind of. Uh, yeah. And then the bag the bagpipes really are a sense of it's the last gasp of freedom. Oh, yeah. okay. That's that's what that sound. I don't know. That's what it feels like to me. Is that that's you know bursting through that that blanket of that that that's you know enveloping them yeah. all all over the city, the entire city itself, and they're just able to burst through one last you know glimmer of hope. Hmm. Uh, but that's the sound that womp womp womp. You know that sound was. Uh, Developed by Ben Burt, who was a very important part of this movie, as he is with pretty much every single thing that he's done, because he's a genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, the man who created the sound of the lightsaber and oh. Wally later on, um, and so many you know iconic things. Really, an amazing career. That uh, it's a shame they didn't use him for the current Star Wars movies. It's it's a subtle thing, but makes a big difference. Mm. Um, and he's the you know sound designer who who developed that sound and the sound that the aliens make that that screeching sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was all Ben Burt. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. that screeching man. The oh. screeching when they 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 recognize you as a human and they point and they they alert everyone else. Oh God! Yeah, Terri- <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah, no good. Oh my gosh, scary! It, it, it the the sound sound and uh, sound and soundtrack is just uh, just so well done that to help supplement all of this. Uh, mm-hmm. So, oof, oof. Mm. Yeah, and you know, like I mentioned before, this movie just fits in so well with the you know that paranoid kind of tone of the 70s and uh, the, the government, you know, trying to rob you of your individuality and, and um, you know, make you... It's, it's, this movie is less about the communist takeover and more about, in a way, it's sort of liberals versus Republicans. Well, liberals versus conservatives or... I mean, sorry, liberals versus conservatives, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we say... In sort of a modern context, that seems to be what you originally said. But, uh, but back then, right? Like the either liberals and conservatives or Democrats and Republicans, maybe I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I could see that. You know, thematically, it's it's about you know the robbing you of your individuality and your humanity, and and like we said, forcing you to be one group, one like-minded, almost like 
one like-minded individual, you know, or extensions of that. And, and it's, there's a lot of, of uh, liberalism versus conservatism in, in, in the themes here. Mm. Um, you know, clearly the, you know, like we, again, like we said earlier, the setting it in San Francisco and, and the free kind of free spirited, uh, people that are, that are our main characters against, you know, Leonard Nimoy and, and the, you know, the aliens, I guess, themselves as just like, this is, this is the way we're going to do things. And this is how it's going to happen. And, uh, we're not going to, you know, worry about how everyone feels about it. This is just how it's going to operate. Hmm. Uh, you know, that's, that's a big part of this film. And I think what it, what, how it can sort of relate to today and the political climate and conflict that we have happening right now. Hmm. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I could, I watching this film in a 2019 kind of way, um, for the first, you know, first seeing it for the first time in the modern context. And I think my, I can sort of see this as a, a great analogy for, you know, the, uh, the, like, you know, we're, we live in a, we live in a time where the, the, there's a big disparity, um, or, or a polarization, I guess, between, mm-hmm. you know, what people ascribe to as a, a good way to live as an American and all that. And it's, it's difficult, um, to, to find a lot of nuance, you know, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I saw it as sort of like this idea of becoming one with a one singular idea and the struggle against open-mindedness and the greater good for all. But then the idea of, well, well, the greater good for all is to submit to a certain ideology. Um, and the funny thing is both, both sides of a, say a liberal and a conservative view would see the other side as like sort of the villainous version of that, you mm-hmm. know, that, that yeah. your, their, your point of view is sort of the villainous way. And, it's you're you're kind of uh, you're trapped you're you're a zombie to this point of view um, yeah and it's hard it, it, it's it, it, and so it's like it's something that like everyone can kind of relate to um, in a modern context without necessarily vilifying one uh, you know one philosophy or another right mm-hmm. I mean um, I I have certain beliefs that I think. I'm correct in, in a sense, and I'm not saying I'm hard. I'm only, uh, that I'll die on that hill, but I feel like uh, considering all the options, what I ascribe to is best for me and best for probably best for most people. But I can talk to someone who's my polar opposite, and they would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's that's what makes us human beings, right? We have yeah. these yeah. these differences. And this, the movie was actually coming out at a kind of a poignant time. It wasn't really, you know, it, it was not happening while they were making the film, or it was happening, I guess. But between when the film was shot and when it was released was the Jonestown Massacre. And oh. those were all San Francisco natives who had joined up with, with him and, uh, you know, literally drank the Kool-Aid. That's where that term came from and yeah. committed a mass suicide yeah so I, I think in a way that uh being so heavily in the news and so related to the the 
you know, where this movie's taking place, I think it did impact the movie in a positive way that, that they were, they were able to kind of financially, uh, you know, take advantage of that. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess it's sort of convenient in that way, but I mean, not that, know, not that anybody wished that to have happened or anything like that. It was just, sure. no, yeah, of just course. kind of like benefited from the timing. Well, and I, you know, and I think it was, it was probably Carlin who said, like, I don't remember exact words or all that, but like he liked, he liked ideas, but he didn't like, um, he didn't like groups of people that, uh, that ascribed to the same idea, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that the groups are what was, what's scary. Ideas are good, but it's the groups that make it problematic. And, yeah. uh, and I think that's that that can be true of any ideology or regardless of the intention, um, mm-hmm. whether it's personal or for the greater good and, and all of it being for something. And um, so it is it is scary, the idea of like losing yourself to to one thing or another where others might perceive as a cult you perceive as home. Um, yeah. And you it's don't all on your point of view, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, no matter how smart we are. We're all human beings, and we could all succumb to something that, well, this makes sense to me, and this this should make sense to everyone, and I'm going to try my best to to make that make sense to you. And uh, if you don't believe me, well, then I, there's nothing I can do. I'm I'm right. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna live my life. Um, yeah. Isn't that, isn't that kind of nuts? Like we're we're all we're we're all programmed the same kind of way, you know? Mm-hmm. There's no real outsider view here. And we're all influenced by each other in that in that way. Yeah. So this movie's great, by the way. <laughs> Just to make us what did you that. Uh, What did you think before we before we get to the box office? Let's. I just Ooh. you know, spoiler alert. We're going to talk about the ending here. So if you haven't seen it, oh my god, uh, stop listening. What the fuck? <laughs> Go give us a five star review, and then we'll we'll see you next week. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Just stop here and, and move on. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Um, but for those that have seen it or just want to have the spoiler, what did you think about that ending? It's it's one of the most shocking endings in, in of films that I've seen that really, like, really hits you hard, you know? Yeah. Well, you get to spend those last few minutes with Matthew. Um, and based on what you saw, you can kind of believe he is he is still Matthew. And, yeah, that uh, he's faking his way through life now and found a way to, you know, survive undetected. Yeah, I mean, it seems very explicit based on just sort of his eye movements, the way he, he the way he goes, the way he incorporates himself. You didn't, you don't know that he is already turned. Um, so that when he meets up with um, Veronica Cartwright and she, you know, approaches him because she recognizes him. Like thinking, like yeah, uh, he's fine, and then he and and she and has then, found a way to survive. Like she has found a way to make it through without being spotted. Yeah, like she's she's one of the elite people who survived. You figure a couple of days have passed or, or something. I mean, mm-hmm. and she finds him luckily, and uh, I it, it was a shock when he he raises his hand and screeches. I was like. <gasps> Oh no! Our yeah. hero's been taken. Oh my yeah. god! Um, yeah, that was that was shocking to me. It, I and I it made me feel bad. Like I was just like, yeah. no. Oh, it's 
it's a gut punch, you know, and yeah, and it was uh, it was a secret ending. They, you know, kept it hidden from from everybody. Really, it was uh, it was really just, you know, Philip Kaufman and and uh, W. D. Richter and Michael Chapman, I believe, who were and one of the producers were aware that they were going to shoot that, and they told Donald Sutherland the night before, and it was that was the ending they were banking on they really didn't know you know remember this is in the 1970s it was they were not being um as i don't know they weren't as supervised by the studios as as they are now i mean now you have to run everything all the scripts every version goes through the studio and they give you notes and and if they don't like something, it's it's going to be a battle to, to get your way. But here in the 70s was a little different. And the directors had a lot more creative freedom. Mm-hmm. And the studios would kind of let them make their movie. And then after it was done, they would come and look at it and see, you know, if they were all on the same page or at least a similar enough page. Yeah. So they, you know, shot this movie without letting the stu- or this ending without letting the studio know. They did not even tell Veronica Cartwright. Uh, I don't know what she was expecting this scene to be. I think she, I think it must have been written as the happy ending where they, she approaches Matthew and Matthew smiles or something, and that's the end, you know. Uh. Uh, but here, where he turns on her, and it was a surprise, and yeah, and uh, directors like to surprise Veronica Cartwright. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's that our right. running theme of yeah. reconsideration. Yeah, let's surprise Veronica Cartwright. That's right. It's funny, and her reaction is very iconic in a sense. This just this way, she just sort of is terrified and thrashes about and like puts her hands to her head, and it's just sort of a well. And that's it for her. You know, yeah. they're gonna grab her next, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's it by her. Um, an episode of uh, NBC's Community, uh, I think, in the third season, uh, there was an episode where. Um, people were being drawn into joining the Glee Club to 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 win it. <laughs> so the, all the main characters were sort of being convinced, and it took. And there's all these sort. Of, it's it's sort of a body snatchers esque kind of thing where eventually they all just succumb to join the Glee Club, even though like what is Glee Club and what is what? Why do we have to go to regionals? So they're just sort mm-hmm. of making fun of the show Glee. And then the idea of like joining a group because like all the characters are like no who cares that's stupid, and um, but there's a great moment where uh, Joel McHale like s- just sort of sings at uh, Gillian Jacobs and she does like and he like he points and sings and she does the she does the Veronica Cartwright like scream oh with her hair and it's hysterical like knowing it in context it's, it's oh my it's I, I gotta check that out I gotta, yeah gotta watch that. It's uh, episode uh, 10 in season three, Re- regional Copy. holiday music. So just right. write that down. Take a look. It's a great episode. It's a lot of fun. There we go. Especially okay. if you know what was going on during television in the 2011 season <laughs> when Glee was the hottest thing on the charts. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, uh, okay. So let's. we should talk a little box office. B.O.? Yeah. Is it B.O.? Can we just talk about Jeff Goldblum just a little bit longer? Oh, we can the always total talk package? about him. All right. Well, we'll do B.O. Right, we'll do B.O. now, and then yeah. we'll, we'll come back. Uh, so the movie comes out December 22nd, 1978, so right at the end of the year. Uh, it had a budget of about $3.5 million, and guess what? 
It it's made it the back. number one movie that weekend. Whoa! Boom! Booyah! We did it, guys. We did it. Number one. Yeah. Uh, it opens um, with a one point three million dollar opening. Mm. Uh, no competition that week. That's that's the that's your new release that uh, that weekend. Mm-hmm. It ends up totaling out with a twenty four about about twenty five million dollars domestically. So Ooh, baby. Yeah, really good. That's a that's a that's a big hit for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it does end up not that high on the list overall for 1978. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it ends up at number 20, uh, right in between the animated Lord of the Rings movie Ooh, and boy. an un, unmarried woman. Oh, I don't I haven't seen either one of those. I bet you you haven't seen that animated Lord of the Rings. Nah, it looks stupid. <laughs> <laughs> It's I only, I only like my Hobbit and Lord of the Rings tales told in sixty frames per second, in very long uh, trilogy-based stories. I need multiple three-hour movies to tell mm-hmm. a story. Yeah, 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 yeah. Me too. Same. But um, yeah, nineteen seventy-eight. <laughs> so big, big year there. Yeah, that came out like literally right as Christmas was happening. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Let's go see Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, baby. But then, yeah. I, but to to end up with twenty four million, I mean, obviously back then, you know, movies were in the theaters for six months at a time. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but obviously, it was something that was appealing to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a lasting hit. I mean, it, it had a, a great reputation. I remember all throughout when I was growing up, and I think it's still, you know, I think it works today. Yeah, it's um, effective. It's effective in its themes and its message, and and uh, you know it's kind of poignant with today's society. And I, I think it's also one of the best sequels of all time. Yeah, and not a reboot sequel. Yeah, I I, I put it in that sequel category. <laughs> Come on, I mean, okay, it's, it's both, a... but I, I I like to think of it as a sequel. All right, you like your sagas. I get it. <laughs> you like your sequels, your sagas. Sure. Well, it's one of the one of the rare sequels or reboots that is you know surpasses the original. But it's not intended to be a sequel. I mean, the director says that, but luckily that guy was available. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. No, I, I think the intention going into it was more of a uh, of a remake. Yeah. But it does fill in as both. Yeah, all right. I'm not gonna put the like in the if you if you weigh all the sequels of the in all the pantheon of films, like you can't put that in there. Like this isn't you can't compare this to Godfather Two. You you compare it to the Godfather, like you know, no, an original would, story. No, it's st- not really an original story. I mean, it's it's a remake well, of a book and another movie. So. Well, okay, yeah, fair. All right, so it is basically Biloxi Blues. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's just based on a play. Isn't damn, everything? Damn it. <laughs> um, but uh, either way, still um, highly enjoyable. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to reveal it. My, my my preference this movie. Thumbs up. Um, yeah, there you go. No, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, More than fine from David. So. That's a win. I mean, it's fine, but <laughs> <laughs> but 
<laughs> I love how I can come just right in the middle on almost yeah. every movie. No, I, I, I think it, it is more than fine. And um, I think the higher pitch you go on the word it yeah. really tells us something. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a subtlety there. But, or um, the length of the word fine. It's fine. The, the longer the fine goes, the less you like it. We get That's, it. There's, there's a formula. The, yeah, I'm more accepting, but not quite as enthused if it's a longer fine. Yeah. But this one, I'm like, it's fine. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. Legitimately, this is more than fine. It is a lot of, um, not a lot of fun, but it's it's definitely engaging. And I, I, I appreciate everything I'm seeing on screen. And because it's got that sort of film noir aspect where... You know, noir is hard to do in color mm-hmm. um, because noir hides a lot in the shadows. You know, the, the things you don't see. Whereas a lot of these shots, they have they he fills the frame. You know, he fills the frame with so much um, without being overbearing or overwhelming. Like your eye can catch something, um, and it'll it'll help you get to the next scene. And mm-hmm. um, uh, it's it's expertly done. I think this is yeah. a really really just well shot movie. Um, well directed. I, I I really enjoyed it um, after multiple viewings. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean m- more than fine. Yeah, it's a uh, may not be you know coming right to the forefront of your mind for Halloween, but we're trying to get a a little bit different spin for our Halloween lineup this year. Yeah, yeah. No no slasher flicks so far. Not no one getting yet. killed. No. <laughs> Don't speak too soon. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is. It's a great film. I uh, we love it. Uh, we think it holds up great. It works in 2019. Give it a yeah. shot if you haven't seen it, or if you haven't seen it in a while. And yeah. uh, you know, find your local video store and check it out there. Support your local video stores. Yeah, support support your video techs. Support your yeah, blockbuster and, video. And I'm I couldn't be more excited with the great announcement. Uh oh. Are they coming for you, David? Did, do you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> That's right outside my door. I'm fucked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm real pumped because we've got the great announcement that Vidiots is returning and returning to cl- very close to Recon Cinema Studios. That's amazing. We're yeah. getting right over there. Yeah. So we'll be able to rent this anytime now. All the time. Gimme. Um, but look, it's getting late. Uh, we're going to have to get out of here. Uh, we're going to be back next week with another great episode. Halloween's mm-hmm. right around the corner. Yeah. Before we go, I just, maybe now's the time. Maybe you should open your gift. Oh, my God. This is, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah, let you me. You know, it's just just for you. Just, you know, put it next oh. to you while you're, while you're uh, resting tonight. It's going to make you feel all better in the morning. Oh look at the! Oh, this is great. This is like a oh, this is like a little plant. Oh, it's a, it's a flower. I, you know, I, I a, picked yeah. it up on the way over here for you, and yes. and I swear, just just go to bed, put it next to you. It's gonna fragrance. It's gonna make you feel completely better. You'll feel like a new person in the I've morning. I've been looking for like an aromatherapy solution to my sleep, yeah. my sleep uh, problems, and you know, it's funny. I've been seeing. I, this flower, it, it's new, but I, I, I've been seeing it around the studio a lot. Uh, yeah. But Just that, in the last really couple kind of, of days, it's it's really, it works yeah. wonders. I, I'm oh. a lot better, so, and you will be too. You feel good. You yeah. feel good? Uh, um, have you, you've, you've slept with one of these by your bedside? Uh, I did, and, and I, I feel like a new person, a, uh, a better person. So. Huh. Well, that's, I mean, that's what I'm looking for, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, well, well, let's I'll talk tomorrow. We'll, we'll see how you're doing if you're uh, along with the rest of us. So, oh, oh okay, uh, yeah. So yeah, guys, thank you for listening. Uh, you want to check out our social media? You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Reconsideration Podcast, or www.reconsideration.com. Always uh, check us out on iTunes and uh, give us a rating and a five-star review. Uh, it always helps to promote the show. So thank you guys very much. Mm-hmm. And uh, David, anything you want to say as we as we head out? Um, uh, make sure your pets are spayed and neutered. I don't. There you go. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you uh, next week for another. Uh, actually, the conclusion of our our Halloween marathon. Uh, So we'll see you next week for a very special episode. Bye now.